You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. All right, so the kids can head to Kids Church. We're going to have a quick video clip about church before I talk about church, because we're in church and why not talk about church for the church annual meeting. Hey there. Is today your first time here? Or maybe your first time in a while? If so, maybe you're wondering exactly who we are and what this church is all about. Well, we'd like you to know that we're a group of ordinary people who are on an amazing journey together following Christ. Our guide is the Bible because it's the divinely inspired Word of God and it will never take us in the wrong direction. Along the way, we hope you'll see that we are welcoming and spiritually passionate and that getting to know you is a big deal to us. We know that the road is rough sometimes, but we'll work really hard to bring you practical and relevant messages to equip and encourage you through life's ups and downs. We want you to know that we care about this community and we believe that it's our job to make it a better place. So no matter who you are or where you've been, we're glad you're here with us today. And we hope that you'll join us on our journey, following Christ and living out His plan for us. So welcome to church. So church, the start of this church, if you didn't know that, I love you all. You know, one thing I've been praying for lately, though, is I like you so much that I would like to have more of you. So I just was thinking and praying that wouldn't it be great if God would bless us with more people who would come to church and become part of our church family, become some of our good friends, become some of those people we hang out with, that we spend life with, and maybe they'll serve alongside of us, but they'll just increase our satisfaction with life. They'll increase the number of relationships we have the number of things that we celebrate, the life that we share. When I first came, I had a church building plan. And as you know, I thought when I showed up here, it was going to be a lot easier than what I was told. I thought that I would just show up and that I would um, have multiple staff in a church building and it would come easy. It didn't really, but this is a church building plan we've always had. And every year before the annual meeting, I show it. And it's the foundation of loving God and loving people, of winning lost people to Christ, building them up in their faith, equipping them to do ministry, and then helping multiply ministers and ministries, sending people to start new ministries, to start churches, to become missionaries, out to other churches, uh, to expand our churches. And that would be the foundation of our church building, that we would empower our leadership with spiritual gift-oriented ministry, that there would be a passionate spirituality and functional structures, that we would have inspiring worship and holistic small groups and need-oriented evangelism and loving relationships as we have an uh, attitude of repentance and dependence on God, that that would be our church. And that is still an awesome church plan. That, and we are doing some of those things. We, are doing, uh, we have all of those to some extent. And the church isn't really about a building, though if we had a building, we could do a lot more than we do now. I mean, wouldn't it be great, instead of spending time setting up and tearing down, if we could go back to, like when we first started, we had Sunday school, and we had different stuff going on, or multiple services, or choices. Uh, if there was a funeral, that we could host it ourselves. If there was a wedding, that I wouldn't have to borrow another church or go to another venue. I am totally fine not having a building because it has its troubles, but it would be a great blessing if we did. But we could have a beautiful building and not have any of this stuff, and our church wouldn't be effective or functional at all. 
One nice thing about the rented space is as we need more room, that we can just rent more rooms. And I'm pretty sure on the back door there, it says this room holds 599 people, which means that we could have like six times more and still be comfortable in here. So let's try that. Let's try that sometime. So, but the church that Jesus builds, the church that Jesus builds was when I was praying uh, last year about what to preach as we came to this Sunday when we had the annual meeting. I always talk about church before we have the annual meeting. And so I wanted to think about, you know, what kind of church would Jesus want? What kind of church are we really supposed to have? What kind of church is uh, the thing that is best for us? And Colin Smith's sermon, The Church Sharing the Passion of Jesus, he lists four distorted images of the church. One is the church as a gas station. For some people today, the church is the place where you fill up your spiritual gas tank when you're running low, you get a good sermon, and it will keep you going for the week. Or the church as a movie theater. For many people, the church is a place that offers entertainment. You go for an hour of escape, hopefully in comfortable seats. Leave your problems at the door and come out smiling and feeling better than when you went in. That happens. The church is a drugstore. For other people, the church is the place where you can fill the prescription that will deal with your pain. For many, the church is therapeutic. And number four, the church as a big box retailer. Other people see the church as the place that offers the best products in a clean and safe environment for you and your family. The church offers great service at a low price, all in one stop. For many people, the church is a producer of programs for children and young people. So there are some people that attend multiple churches. So what they do is they look at what's going on in the church and they're like, oh, special guest speaker, let's go there. Oh, snowstorm, I guess we'll stay close to home. Oh, they're having a buffet, a pig roast, I'd like to go to that. And so they're not really committed to any one body. They just kind of jump around like consumers. But we want to focus on the church that Jesus would build. So in Matthew 16, 15, Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, what about you? He says, Jesus says to Peter, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. So here, Peter gets it. Peter totally gets it and understands who Jesus really is. He really is the Messiah. That confession there is the foundation of the church. And we need to confess Jesus Christ as Lord to be saved. And all people that join a local church and are part of the church confess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that we confess that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and He rose again, and that by believing in Him, we can be saved. And then, so Peter's name means rock, but Peter isn't the one responsible for the church. It's Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. Jesus is the, the one who is the, the cornerstone. Let's see this in a verse in the in a minute here. But the cornerstone is like if you're building a rock foundation, you put the cornerstone down first, and that's the one that guides and directs and holds most of the weight. It's the most important one. A lot of times when they would build those things in the past, they'd lay the cornerstone and have a celebration. Jesus is the cornerstone. Peter built upon that. The apostles and their teaching built upon that. And then we come along and build upon that into a spiritual church that worships God. But Jesus builds the church. Jesus is the church. And so, We've been using this well slogan for a while, and I first saw it before I started the church in Greg Laurie's book, The Upside Down Church, uh, Riverside uh, Harvest Church in Riverside, California, fast-growing church. In the book, he says something like, uh, some church uh, experts came to us and said, you know, you're one of the biggest churches in the United States. And uh, he's like, oh, are we? 
And uh, he said that we were just focused on worshiping, evangelizing, learning, and loving. So I've been using that for a while. I can prove that we first used it like in 2000, whatever, two, three. But now it's like super popular. I saw it on the side of a garbage truck. I saw it when I walked into McDonald's. There's chiropractor agencies, health agencies. All these people are about living life well. Be well. Are you well? Want to be well? And so somebody that came to church and visited recently said, you know, your slogan's kind of worn out. And I thought about that, and I'm like, is that good or is that bad? Because I don't want anything that's worn out. But on the other hand, um, it could still work because if everybody sees it and somebody says, oh, live well, I know what that means. Worshiping, we used to use evangelizing, but we found that unevangelized people that lost people, they don't want to be evangelized. So we changed it to encouraging because they want to be encouraged. Oh, yeah, I want to be encouraged. Your church is encouraging? I'll come there because I want to be encouraged. So what's the ultimate form of encouragement? As you know, evangelizing, sharing your faith. If I'm your best friend and I don't tell you about Jesus, I'm not much of a friend. I have a friend, actually it was the first church I ever worked at, and this pastor got the church excited with one statement, pointing people to God. That was it. The statement was pointing people to God. In every sermon and everything he'd say, what are you doing to point people to God? Point people to God this week. Let's point people to God. Are you pointing people to God? Church got totally hooked on it. Two other pastors came behind him after he left there, tried to change it. Church wouldn't move. They called me like, what's going on? How come, how come we can't get this to change? It's like, because they love the statement and they love that pastor. That pastor went on to start a mega multi-site church in Iowa. But his big deal was motivating people, pointing people to God. What are you doing pointing people to God? To point people to God. You got it in your head and it's like, okay, I'm in a situation. I'm meeting a friend. I'm talking to this person. I just met this person on the plane. What can I do to point them to God? And it totally worked. And so with, well, maybe it's more for me than for you. Maybe it's more uh, for the fact that when I think about what can we do as a church, we can help people live well lives. We can help them to become worshipers. We can help them to become encouragers, evangelizers. We can learn and we can teach. We can love and we can be loved by the Lord. And that's actually what the sermon is about today. And I totally didn't think I would find myself there because I was trying to get away from it. As elders, we were talking about, what can we change it to? Maybe we were looking at, I was looking at some other different churches. We've had stuff in the past like uh, knowing Christ and making Him known. We used that one for a while. Connect, grow, share. We did that. There's all sorts of different ones that we could choose, but what is it that drives us? What is it that drives me? You know, when I am disappointed, when I show up here on a Sunday and maybe you're all sick or, you know, attendance is really low or I walk out of here and think to myself, you ever seen the Muppet show with those two old guys and they're like sitting up there in the balcony and after the show's over, they're like, yeah, it was pretty good. It was good. Yeah, it wasn't so good. Yeah, it wasn't that great. Yeah, it was kind of, kind of bad. Boo, get him off. That's what plays in my head sometimes. And my wife's like, would you please listen to your sermon? It wasn't what you thought it was. Sometimes I go through that. Sometimes I come and I, I, I set stuff up. And you know, I've been setting up and tearing down and pulling that trailer around for all those years. And sometimes I'm like, why do I keep doing this? And it all comes back to it is an act of worship. I am worshiping God through my actions, through what I do and the way that I do it and the faithfulness that I do, whether a ton of you show up or a ton of you don't or a lot of you don't, so being faithful in that. So, I don't want to say the same thing all the time, but it is a well sermon again, and I hope that you find it encouraging. What I need to do is develop the whole well theme more on the website and in the brochure, but the church that Jesus build, builds uh, is a local church. Ecclesia, the church, uh, when it's used in the New Testament, it's mostly used towards 
the local church, the church of Jerusalem. It's got a church with a name. It's a local church. And then there's also the universal church, but it is focused on a group of people gathering together to worship and serve the Lord using their gifts, assembled ones, and we are to be the body of Christ. Every believer in Christ needs to be plugged into a church somewhere. There's no reason for us to be Lone Ranger Christians. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We need you. We need more people with more gifts to serve in different ways. Our church is able to, when you come to the annual meeting, you'll see our church is able to do some things because we have people there serving in those ministries, but you'll also notice there's a lot of things that we can't do because we don't have those people ready to serve. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could have a Celebrate Recovery group or something like that to help people in need, but we need leaders and people to make that happen because we can't do everything on our own. So the more people we have in the body, the more things that we can accomplish, but we need each other and to be a Lone Ranger Christian and just stay off doing your own thing all by yourself uh, is going to lead to a disappointing Christian life. You won't achieve or experience all that you can when you're sharing life with other people. 1 Corinthians 12.27 Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you are a part of it. We need to be part of a local body of Christ. Ephesians 1.22 God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church. Jesus Christ was all about the church. Uh, the head of the church, the founder of the church, He guides and directs and empowers and makes the church grow. A church built together. Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So again, that cornerstone built. So Jesus is the cornerstone. Uh, the apostles' teaching, the apostles' teaching was um, verified by miracles. We don't need to ha have miracles all the time to verify that teaching because that's already been done. Now, Jesus might allow miracles in our life, miracles of healing, but we don't sit there and, and focus on the miracles. We focus on Jesus uh, so God can still do miracles, but we're not looking to find apostles doing miracles because God's already done that. That was a different time. Prophets aren't so much about foretelling the future as they are foretelling the Word of God. So this all gets built up and the church is built together. We need each other and we all need to serve and use our gifts. Acts 9.31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. Acts 9.31. When we first started this church, we, on the first Sunday, we started out with a big concert. We had like 200 and, I don't remember, 230 people or whatever. And then we had like, I don't know, like 100 people show up the next Sunday. Then we averaged like 70 and then we grew and we used to have like an attendance in like the 130s or whatever. And then we suffered through the housing. First there was housing boom, then there was housing bust. And so we have survived all of these years though. And God has done amazing things. And the stories of people who have come to church here and then moved on or that when they call back. They're like, oh, I wish we could find a church like River Rock. And the one guy who said I moved away a long time ago, but I still listen to your sermons online when they come online, when I go for my walk during lunch. Those are all so encouraging. John MacArthur in the book Body Dynamics about church growth, he says, one reason that God might not grow your church is because you're not adequately caring for the people you have already. So I'm thinking about that and I'm praying about that and I've given you a survey that asks questions like, what is River Rock doing well? 
What does River Rock need to change? How can we help you? What do you need that we are not providing? And what areas do you want to serve in? So those are on the survey. And so I think that once we get focused on taking care of our people as best as we can, and then get those people focused outward, that we'll be able to reach more of the community because lost people matter to God. And there are like a lot of people around us, Bell Plain, Jordan, Henderson, don't go to church, don't know Jesus. And we are the ones that can make the difference. A church built together. Number one, Jesus builds a worshiping church. A worshiping church. So John 4.23, the time is coming indeed it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus told the Samaritan woman, which means that not only are we to be worshiping, but God wants us to bring new worshipers in. He wants us to grow the church. He wants us to fill the church with people who worship God with their mouths, with their time, with their resources, with their lives. I mean, when you think about your day and you think about the things that you value and the things that you do, can you actually say that my life is worshiping God? My life is glorifying God. I'm showing God His value because I have chosen to do this instead of this. Or I've chosen not to buy that to focus on this. Or I've chosen to spend my time trying to reach this person or to serve in this ministry or to take a risk and share Jesus with somebody in authority in my life or my boss or my parents or something because it matters so much. A life of worship will guide and direct you God is looking for people to become worshipers and worship in spirit and truth. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but you worship through the Spirit, and we need to be truthful about our worship. So if we're expressive in worship and we run around with our hands up in, our, in the air and we're like, look at me, look at me, I'm more spiritual than you, that is not truth in worship. But if that's the way you really worship and that's totally the way that you connect with God, then that's awesome because that's truthful. So don't pretend to be somebody you're not. God sees. Other people usually do too. Ephesians 3.10, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What's in the heavenly realms? Angels? So can you imagine the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms taking a look at the church? Because miracles happen in the church. Life change happens in the church. I mean, it doesn't have to be crazy miracles like you know people's limbs grow back or whatever, but when a family... Uh, that is about to get divorced, when a family is restored, that's a miracle. When somebody's healed, that's a miracle. When somebody is lost and they get saved and their life changed, that's a miracle. Jesus, worship, Jesus' church worships through prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We worship through prayer. We ask the Lord for stuff. We ask Jesus as we abide in him, as we walk in him, to provide these things. And when he does, we see God working in our life. Maybe you don't have because you haven't asked. Acts 1.14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women and the brothers of Jesus. They all met together were constantly united in prayer. We're a praying church. Not many of you show up to the prayer meeting. We're there on Saturday mornings. I know it's not a good time for everybody, but usually in our life groups we pray. Jesus' church worships through giving and caring. Acts 4.32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money to the, from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So all these people were in town for a, for a feast, for 
I think it was the Feast of Weeks, and it turned out to be Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon these people, and then uh, lots of people got saved after Peter preached his message, so that all these new believers were all around, and they're all hanging out, and so the church, the people that would become the church, needed to care for them and provide for them, and that would be, we need resources to help them for housing, and so they can stick around and learn, and so the church said, hey, you know what, I could sell this, and I brought this money, and I could give this, and I could make this happen, because there was a need. Now, our church isn't able to provide every need that people ask for. People call for house payments and car payments and stuff. But when there is a true need that we can do something about, you people have jumped into action. I remember uh, years back when somebody called and said something like, we don't have any groceries and we don't even have toilet paper. I don't know what kind of supply of toilet paper you guys usually stock up, but I had a whole pickup truck full of toilet paper from the people that were donating groceries and a lot of toilet paper. So you have a generous heart when there is a need. So, worships through giving. A.W. Tozer says, True worship, worship that is pleasing to God, radiates throughout a person's entire life. When you're worshiping the Lord and it's flowing through you, people can tell God directs your life, empowers your life, and it's an exciting thing. Radiates throughout a person's entire life. Jesus' church worships even during persecution. We've been living in some pretty good times in the past where the church has been free to do whatever they want, but my guess is that more and more persecution is coming. And if we're truly worshiping the Lord, He's going to help us. The Holy Spirit's going to help us to get through that, to have courage to get through. Sometimes they, I've heard pure, uh, persecution purifies the church. Jesus says in John 15:18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it, that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours. Also John 15, 18. And I have a bunch of verses about persecution I'm going to skip through for the sake of time. But the Bible is pretty clear that persecution happens to Christians. Or at least, don't expect everybody to like you. It's okay. Which is why the local church is even more important. Because if the world out there is turned against you because you're a Christ follower, and then you come home to the local church and your Christ-following brothers and sisters are there to encourage you, can make a big difference. You know, if you were ever in sports and you went to the opposing team's territory, you had strength when your team was with you. Because you're like, yeah, nobody likes us here because... We're the opposition, but we don't really care because we've come to beat these people or to be victorious over these people. And in the church, we haven't come to beat them, but we've come to lead them to Christ. And we know there's a spiritual battle and we're going to be victorious in Christ. Number two, Jesus builds an evangelizing and encouraging church. The church is evangelizing. Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Luke 19.10. Acts 1.8 says we're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us so we'll be witnesses. In Belle Plain, in Jordan, in Scott County, across Minnesota, across the world, Acts 1.8 tells us that the Holy Spirit will empower us to tell people about Jesus to be witnesses. Acts 2.41, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. A.B. Simpson said, the Christian that is bound by his own horizon, the church that lives simply for itself, is bound to die a spiritual death and sink into stagnancy and corruption. We never can thank God enough for giving us not only a whole gospel to believe, but a whole world to give it to. He's the founder of the group or a part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And that is a powerful statement that our church can't just be focused on ourselves. We've got to be focused on the world and the people around us and what can we do? What can we, how can we help? 
I've been trying to equip you with resources through Right Now Media and things that I've been giving out because every one of you is a minister of reconciliation. Every one of you is to be out there serving the Lord. Church is encouraging people. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. And the church is to be encouraging. Number three, Jesus builds a learning and teaching church. Matthew 11.29 Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Pharisees wanted to put a yoke on the people's neck that said, you know, obey God's laws, and I've got 600 more that you need to follow. You've got to do these rules, and you've got to do it all. And they burdened the people with all these rules. It wasn't even fun to serve God. It wasn't even fun to live for God because everything you did was wrong. And Jesus said, you know, you follow me. It's not like that. So... His yoke is easy. His burden is light. You know, and ideally, He died on the cross. He took away our sins, so we are declared righteous in God's sight anyway. But to follow Jesus, to love God, to love others, totally removes uh, all of the list of things that we're supposed to do to be made right with God. However, because we are made right with God and we're living in Christ, uh, our standards for life might be higher, and the things that we choose to do or not do are, are higher. So in a way, it could kind of be a list of things that we want to do and don't want to do, but it's not a list of things that we don't do because we want to be made right with God and we're in fear of losing our salvation. It's a list of things that we want to do or not do because we want to be more effective at serving Christ or we want Him to bless our lives or uh, it's, the Holy Spirit has given us the conviction that we do this, we don't do that, we drink this, we don't do that, uh, drink that or eat that, we don't do that. You know, so it's a list of things that the Holy Spirit might have put on our heart that we call convictions. So, it's our convictions. The Holy Spirit, the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you, Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 26. So we're to be learning. The Holy Spirit helps us to learn things. So many times I look in Scripture and I pray. It's like, God, I don't understand this. Especially when I was a new Christian. And then on the Christian radio or something, I'd, I'd like hear a message that would answer the question or I'd read something that would answer the question. And the church is teaching people. Teaching, Colossians 3.16, that let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So you do that in church. Hopefully you do that at work or school. Hopefully you do that in your home. But we need to be teaching and guiding and counseling and encouraging Number four, Jesus builds a church that is loved and loved. So we are loved by the Lord, and it is a great assurance to know that we are loved. Romans 5.5, 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we experience Christ's love. The Holy Spirit has poured out love into our hearts. We experience that love, and then out of that love, we love others. We love others. Matthew 5.44 even tells us to love our enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 1 John 2.10 Anyone who loves one another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble, but anyone who hates another brother or sister is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. So we are to love. We are to love and I could go on with more verses, but you've heard me say this over and over again. 
and I'm going to, I guess, continue to say it into the next year because God hasn't given me, thing, given me any, any better statement to guide and direct, and it's a really exciting thing to be able to know when somebody says, hey, what's your church about? If you can remember, our church is about connecting people to Christ and helping them to live well lives, worshiping, encouraging, learning, and loving. And I would like everybody to know that uh, as they go through the community. So if you can tell them that, everybody wants to be encouraged and loved and learned. We use Right Now Media to help us with that. So I feel like I've kind of had like a rerun, but it's like a, re, a recommitment to connecting to Christ and living well lives. So next Sunday we're going to talk about pressing on to win the prize um, and past time. The worship team can come on up, but uh, in um, this book, Zombie Church, from Tyler Edwards, it says that churches should have a love radius. Bombs have what's called the blast radius, defined as the distance from the source that will be affected when an explosion occurs. Churches should have a love radius. Churches should have love radiuses. Anyone within 20 miles of a church should know it, should know it, and be positively affected by the church's love. So, uh, 20 miles puts us into some bigger cities. So even if we said 12 miles and we loved on the people within 12 miles, Belle Plaine, Jordan, Green Isle. Cologne. Uh, we exclude New Prague because we have another church like us there, but uh, Carver. But just think, to show love, to impact, to evangelize. Well, I got so much more I could say on that, but we're out of time. Jesus, I just thank you so much that you have given us this church. I thank you so much for the people in the church. I thank you for the, for the past, how you provided for this church, and in the future, what you are doing and what you could be doing, and that you would take everybody here and use them to reach the lost people all around us. Lord, there's We've heard of so much cancer and so many people dying on the highway and stuff. We pray that we would be quick to share faith, that people would get saved and know who they are in Christ before something in life takes them into eternity. So, Lord, we pray that you'd help us and provide for us and guide us. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. We meet 10 a.m. Sundays at Chatfield Elementary School on 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives. 